Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Some of us are discontented because we don't want what God wants. Right? Some of us, what God wants is for us to die to ourselves in the situation. We don't want to. So you're in conflict. Some of us don't want to humble ourselves in the situation, which is what God wants. So you're in conflict because you won't submit to God. Wherever you're in conflict in a situation, you want to take scripture and say, God, what would you say do? What would you have me to do in this situation? How would you have me to handle this situation? What does your word tell me I should do? For many of us, when we get into conflict, we don't know how to react. It can be stressful, confusing, frustrating, and oftentimes we don't know where to turn. Today, Pastor Bill wants you to know that God is the answer to your conflicts. When you're in a difficult situation, you can always count on God to get you through and keep you living the life you want to live. Don't let yourself get bogged down by the perils of daily life and let God guide you to be the person you always wanted to be. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Jonah chapter 4 as he begins his message, A Heart of Conflict. I'll give a brief recap. In Jonah chapter 1, we had Jonah in the ship. Uh, God had told Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach to them the message that I tell you. Jonah didn't want to go and end up getting thrown overboard from the, well, he went and got in a ship going as far away from Nineveh where God said go as he could, all the way to Tarshish. And end up being thrown overboard. Uh, But Jonah was in chapter one running from the call of God. And so we had, in that chapter, we had titled it, you can't outrun God because God is sovereign. You can't, where can you go that he's not there to, you know, to get your attention again. And so God was present there to send the storm. And at the end of the chapter, it says God prepared a great fish and it swallowed Jonah, uh, which really we find that that was to save Jonah. So otherwise he would have drowned. So he was spared. In chapter two, we have Jonah in the belly of the great fish. Because of his rebellion, he ended up in the great fish. All of chapter two is the, almost the entire chapter is Jonah's prayer of repentance. And so we learned in chapter two, and we talked about repentance, uh, turning away from sin, turning toward back toward the Lord, and how God responds when we do repent. And as soon as Jonah repented, it said the Lord, the last verse of that chapter says God heard him. God received his repentance. And the fish vomited Jonah out on dry land. On chapter three, we had Jonah in the city, in the city of Nineveh, where he was supposed to go in the first place. Finally, Jonah would do what God said do. He did it begrudgingly and reluctantly, but he did it. When you obey, do you have to obey? Do you have to do you, do you have to obey with the like because you want to? No, nah, you just need to obey because he said so. Sometimes when you obey God, some people be like, well, I'm going to wait until I feel. No, you, you, there's some things you're never going to feel like doing. We obey God because he is the Lord. And many times the Lord is going to tell us to do things that we don't want to do. And that's called submission to his lordship. So Jonah didn't really, you know, he didn't even do it with a great heart, but he did it. He obeyed God. And so in chapter three, we saw the greatest revival in known Bible history. It looked like the entire city repented from the king all the way down. They had a time of fasting and just remorse and mourning over their sin. They, they said, we're going to fast. We ain't even going to feed the animals. The animals are going to be on the fast. Everybody's going to fasting so that we can see just just so that we might see if God might forgive us. Might, if God might not bring the disaster that he said he was going to bring upon us. And it said when God saw that they repented, he was pleased. 
And he didn't bring the disaster that he thought to bring upon Nineveh. And so we pick up today in chapter four. The title of today's message is A Heart of Conflict. We're going to see Jonah is just, he just conflict. His heart is so conflicted. He seems so unhappy, discontented, even to the point of wanting to die. And it's directly related to his relationship with the Lord. He's at conflict with God, which brings him into conflict in his life. And, and I just, I'm sure there are people here that you're in conflicts that are also directly related to, you know, it might feel like I'm in conflict with this person, but you're really in conflict with God. Where if you would do what God said, do it with God tells you how to deal with that person. Some of you are in conflict in your marriages. Some of you are in conflict in, in the workplace. Some of you are in conflict just in your own heart with not wanting to do the things that you're supposed to do. And so I want you to listen up today. If you're here and you are not a person that's at peace and content, if there's discontentment, if there is if there's conflict in your heart, my prayer today is that we would we would see how to resolve that because God would have us to be at peace in our hearts. God would not have us to be people that are conflicted and going through it unnecessarily. Um, God would bring us to a place of peace. And so let's look at Jonah chapter four, verse one. It says, but it displeased. So this is right after everybody repents in, in chapter three, verse 10. I'll read chapter three, verse 10, then chapter four, verse one. It says, then God saw their works that they turned from their evil ways and God relented. That means that God didn't do from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. So it should say, so Jonah rejoiced that God was so merciful and gracious. And he was like, yes, Lord, any preacher preach a message and everybody gets saved. If I went to Compton and I shared the God, I had some platform in Compton where everybody could hear me and everybody in Compton got saved. I would be beside myself. I mean, that'd be the best day of my life. Like everybody got saved. I mean, pit bulls got saved. Everybody, everybody came to Jesus. You know, like that would be amazing. You know, that would be for any minister. That would be that's what, what, what better. What could happen better than that? Look at Jonah's response. This is a man that his heart just not where it needs to be. It said, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. So why did it displease Jonah? One reason is that Jonah didn't want what God wanted, right? What did God want? God wanted to forgive the people of Nineveh. Were they wicked people? We went over that. If you missed it, you got to go back and listen to chapter one. We talked about it. The people of Nineveh were wicked. They were the enemies to the Jews. They tortured people on a regular. And they were the biggest enemies of God. I mean, they were God's enemies. They were enemies to God's people. And so understand why Jonah didn't like them so much. I told you guys, we did chapter one. It'd be like a Jew going to minister to Nazi Germany, you know, you know, a month after the Holocaust, you know, like it, that was the tension that was there between these two groups. And so it's, it just displeased Jonah. Jonah was not happy that these people that God, that they repented and God forgave him. He's like, later on, he's going to say, God, I knew that's what was going to happen. I knew you was going to forgive him. I didn't want, like he didn't want this for them. So here it goes. And it said, then he became very angry. So his discontentment, let him to anger. Why is he angry? This is why. Because his heart was not in tune with God's heart, right? Because he doesn't want what God wants. Now he's upset with what God did. Some of us are discontented because we don't want what God wants, right? Some of us, what God wants is for us to die to ourselves in the situation. We don't want to. So you're in conflict. Some of us don't want to humble ourselves in the situation, which is what God wants. So you're in conflict because you won't submit to God. Wherever you're in conflict, in a situation, you want to take scripture and say, God, what would you say do? 
What would you have me to do in this situation? How would you have me to handle this situation? What does your word tell me I should do? And if I can line up with you, I can be, I can be in, you know, you can be content even when things are going wrong because you're right with God, right? We have examples of that throughout the Bible where people were right with God in the midst of great difficulty. They had great peace. Paul and Silas preaching the gospel, obeying God, put in prison in the, in the bottom of the prison, in the nasty, wet, soggy part of the prison. And guess what they're found doing in the middle of the night? Worshiping God. Heart was at rest. Heart was at why? Things are terrible. It's unfair. It's not right. We were doing the right things. Why are they able to just sing? Because their hearts were right with the Lord. Right. Their hearts were right. And so my heart's right with God. I can be at peace even when things are not peaceful, even when things are messed up around me. But if I'm not right with God, I'll be discontented when I shouldn't be. Right now, Jonah should be thrilled, but he's ticked off. He's angry. And it says he was exceedingly. I mean, that's, that's an emphatic statement. That, like, he wasn't like a little bit bothered. He was displeased. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. I mean, his, when it says that he became angry, you look at it in the Hebrew, it's hot anger. Anybody know somebody? That's when we get the phrase, oh, man, they were hot. It's not like, man, I just, he was a little bit annoyed. He was, he was mad. I'm going to say this. Some of you guys that have been with me for a while have heard this more than once, but you'll hear it again today. It is always wrong for you or me to find ourselves in a place where we're mad at God. Always wrong. You're mad at God. You're wrong 100% of the time. Yes, sir. Now I've heard ministers say, it's okay to be mad at God. It's not okay to be mad at God ever. Why not? Because you're a sinner. You broken commandments. You deserve to go to hell. He loved you so much. He sent his only begotten son, left heaven, came to earth, lived in your place, took your sins upon himself, died for you, for me, so that we could be forgiven and go to heaven and not hell. You mad about what? Because somebody died because you lost something that you wanted. And this is the thing. If, if God had promised that nothing bad would ever happen to me. You know, if God promised me, Bill, no one you love will ever die. And someone I love died, I, I, I guess I could be mad. God, you said, and then you didn't do. Right? God never promises that. But we're going to have difficulty. Everybody is. That's part of being in this world. There are going to be mean things done to us. People are going to do bad things to us. There are things that are not going to be controlled. God's not controlling everybody. And so you can do bad things to people. People can do bad things to you. Things can happen to our kids you know, to us and, and, and so on. And so we don't want to find ourselves in a place where we're mad at God because this is what happens. Sometimes in the most critical juncture of a person's life, they're grieving deeply. They're hurting deeply, hurting over something where you need God more than ever. Satan tricks you into being mad at the only one that can help you, right? The only one that can minister to that hurt, the only one that can get into that place and, and bring healing and comfort, the only one that could help you mad at. You're mad at the only one that could help. That's a trick of the devil. So don't ever be mad at God, right? Job is my example. Job lost his family, all of his kids dead in a day. That's enough right there. All of his, he was rich, all his belongings taken in a day. All his kids, all seven died in a day. And his health, he got, he gets some kind of thing where he got boils from head to toe in the same day. And what does Job do? Satan did that to Job. Stating to God that this will make him curse you to your face. And what did Job do? He fell down and he worshiped. That's the biggest in your face in the Bible. God's like, you said he's going to curse me. Look at, look at him. Look at my boy Job. He, he worshiping right now. In a pot of ashes 
with boils all over his body. His kids just die. Wife coming in saying, won't you just curse God and die? Job's worshiping. That pleased God. It pleased him. So I just want to, I want us to know better. Don't be mad at God. Cry out to God. Take your hurt. Take your, your frustration, your pain. Cry out to the one that loves you. Cry out to bring it to him. He will help. That's what he's, he's your dad. There's certain things you're going to go through that only God can help. I have in my life had hurts that there was no human comfort could comfort my hurt. But God comforted me. God, God brought to me it's supernatural comfort. And as, as many people love me and are kind to me and they tried and I, I knew they were trying. It was nice. It was a good try. Valiant effort. But it didn't. God comforted me. I realized there's some things that only God can do. And so we don't want to find ourselves mad with God. Amen. I just want us to get that. It, it'll spare you. Uh, it, it's the trick of the devil to get you, you know, diverted from or mad at. I think the same thing Satan does to kids. Who loves a kid more than their parents in most scenarios? Nobody. Who does Satan get kids mad at? Get them mad at the only people that love you with a genuine love. So you like your friends who don't know nothing and don't really care as much as you think. You mad at your mom and dad, people invested in your whole life. You know, those are the things that that um, that's how the enemy works. So anyway, let's move on. Uh, look at verse uh, two. And so he was angry. And then he said this. So he prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord. What was was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. And this is what he said. This is what he's mad about. This is his indictment against God. For I know that you are gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. I want you to look at how stupid that sounds. Jonah's like, God, I knew it. Mm. You, You were gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and you one that relents and do I knew you was going to forgive him. And here's the thing. This is what I caught, right? Everything God does here, Jonah needed in chapter 2. In chapter 2, Jonah needed a God that was gracious because he had messed up. He needed a God that was merciful because he needed mercy. He needed a God that was slow to anger because he could have ticked God off and God was a hothead. He needed a God that was abundant in loving kindness and a God that would relent from doing harm. Jonah needed all those same things and he received it for himself, but he doesn't want it for them. Here's something for you to question yourself. Do you want for others from God what you want for yourself? Everybody here, when you mess up, what do you want? Mercy and forgiveness. That's what you want. Every time you sin and you're aware that you mess up, what are you crying to God for? God, forgive me. Be merciful to me. Have mercy on me. That's what you want for you. Do you want that for the other people? Do you want that for others that are messing up? Is there anybody that you look at and you want judgment for them? And I said this before, but it's worth saying again. If there's any people group, right, there's any people that you look at and you just think they deserve the judgment of God. Like, like you want God's judgment for them. Your heart's not like God's heart. I can't look at anybody that's living and breathing and say, I want God's judgment for them. I got to want God's forgiveness for them. I got to want God's mercy for them. I got to want God's compassion for them because that's what God wants to do. Right. The Bible says that God doesn't take any pleasure in the death of the wicked. You take the wickedest person and let them die in their sin. God's like, that doesn't please me. I'm not in heaven saying, yay. You, You know what does please God? When one sinner repents. All of heaven rejoices. That's the stuff that gets God excited. What pleases the Lord? People turning back to him. 
people repenting of their sin. The darker the sin, I think the bigger the pardon. You know, that God's like, man, there's a, there's, a, there's a celebration that goes off in the heavenly realm when somebody turns from sin and turns to God. So we want to be the agents of that. We want to be those that are out there sharing that, looking at people that seem hopeless and knowing that there's hope for them. Sharing the gospel boldly and lovingly and compassionately, hoping that God will intervene, that God will do the miraculous. Um, but there can't be any people, group or persons, even if you've been personally offended by somebody, maybe someone's done something horrible to you. There can't be anybody that you're looking at saying, I want this for them. My sister and I, when we were younger, were nearly molested. And when I say nearly, my, my older brother walked into the room. We had already been stripped naked. And we were, I, I think we were five and six. We had already been unrobed. The individual that was doing it had just unrobed himself. And my brother walked in. And it, 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 so it didn't happen. But it was, it was narrowly. Well, the individual was a family member of a next door neighbor. And I remember I was so little then and I remember telling my dad and my parents did whatever they did. And my, my dad didn't tell my mom because my mom would have killed him. And my dad handled it some other kind of way. But when I got older and in my teens, I remember feeling like I want to I want to find him. Uh, I know his name. I know where he's from. He's a gangbang. And when I went looking for him, I knew people from his neighborhood. He was locked up. And I was just in my heart. I'm like, I know there are other kids in this house that probably, you know, didn't, weren't graced like we were. And so that was someone, there was a period of time in my life where I felt like if I ever caught up with him, if I ever could find, like, I felt like there was some retribution that, that would need to take place that he, that, was, that he was deserving of for what he had done. And it wasn't early in my walk with the Lord, but it was, it was over the course of walking with the Lord that God was like, if, if you're going to take the time to pursue him and find him, it need to be to tell him about me because what, what he really needs is to be forgiven. God knows what he's done to others. You can thank God that you were spared. God knows what's happened to other people, what his heart is like, what, he, what has gone on, but he needs me. He doesn't need death. He doesn't need to be, he doesn't need to die in that condition. I don't know what condition he's in. I've never had the privilege of, of, of finding him or running into him. Um, but it, 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 it starts in my heart. You know, if I find them today, what, what's the heart now? And I, I could say I don't believe my heart today would at all be to, you know, bring retribution or to do something to him or to get revenge in some way. But that's something I had to grow into. You know, uh, there was definitely a period in my life where I felt like that would be deserved. But God should change that over time in our hearts and our lives where there are people that if I'm going to have God's heart or I, or I could be in conflict with God or I could be at peace with God. I'm much more at peace saying if I run into somebody like that, I'm, I'm going to bring the gospel. I know that's what God would want. I know that I can do that and be right with God. If I run up on anybody and sock somebody, I'm not going to be right with God. Y'all going to be looking for a new pastor. And I'll be hoping that Mika write me letters at the penitentiary, you know, so be all bad. And then I'll be in conflict because I didn't find myself in alignment with God. So, um, so Jonah's upset that God is to some other group everything that he needed God to be for him. Be careful that you want for others. A great kind of scripture picture of this. And I don't have time to read through it, but I want you to write in your notes. The story of the Good Samaritan is found in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. So Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. The story of the Good Samaritan. Some of you are familiar with it. There was a lawyer that was questioning Jesus, you know, and, and asking questions and going back and forth with Jesus. And Jesus told him the story of the Good Samaritan. To show him, he says, you know, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, well, who is my neighbor? 
And Jesus gave him this story. He said, there was a man walking down the street from Jerusalem to Jericho, windy road, and he fell among thieves. The thieves beat him up, stripped him of his clothes, and left him half dead, left him there almost to die. Um, as he was laying there on the road, it says, by chance, a certain priest came by. Um, you'd think, you know, if I got beat up, left for dead, a priest, a, a figure in the you know, spiritual worship of the day, I would think he would come help. It says the priest, when he came by, went on the other side and kept going, didn't stop and help. Then it says a Levite, someone else who serves at the temple in more of the practical ways. It says a Levite, when he came by, says he actually went and looked at him. The Levite actually went and looked a little closer to see how jacked up he was. And it says then he went on his way and didn't help him either. Then it says a Samaritan who the Jews hated. A Samaritan came down the road by chance, just some Samaritan, saw this person beat up. And he went to him and he bandaged up his wounds and put ointment on him, put him on his own animal. So he's riding the animal while you're walking. Be like somebody like you putting somebody in your car and you take the bus. Um, somebody you just met today to, to minister to them, took him to an inn, got him situated at the inn, told the innkeeper, I'm giving you this much now and whatever more he spends till he gets better, put it on my tab. I'll take care of him. But you just met him today. You don't even know him. And then Jesus said this. Who was brother to the one that fell among thieves? Who, who, who loved the neighbor? Who was neighbor to him? And obviously the one who, who took care of him. And then Jesus said, you go and do likewise, right? You go and do that for other people. You go, you love your neighbor as yourself. You do for somebody that what you would want done for you. If you got left on the road, beat up, left, you wouldn't want to be passed by. I need the first person to come by. You need to fix me. Give me some help. Call me some 911. Give me some bandages or something. That's what you would want for you. Do it for other people. That's what it is to love your neighbor as yourself. That means I'm a, I want for you what I want for me. Now, maybe you're not in my position, right? Maybe I'm already saved and you're lost. I got to want for you what I want for me. I want forgiveness and salvation. And God, God wants us to develop that kind of heart. And so sometimes, this is what I've experienced and found, the people that we're frustrated with, angry with, and have conflict with many times are sometimes they're people God has put in our lives to expose What's wrong with us? God's done that to me in my life. I do think I'm a pretty spiritual brother. I think I love God. I think I'm a God has exposed me on multiple occasions. God's exposed my weaknesses. And one of the things that God has used to expose my weaknesses is people. Um, there was a time I was serving at a church and God had somebody that, you know, I usually get along with everybody. Um, but I got a few pet peeves. I got a few things that just rub me real wrong. Um, anybody that knows me knows I don't do verbal altercations with men. Uh, I don't argue with men. I don't yell because I can't. If I could yell at you, I could sock you. Um, that's the truth. So you've never heard me. I don't raise my voice in men. I definitely don't do it with women. Um, but a woman could yell at me and it would be nothing. I, I, had, I grew up with a loud mama, you know, but something about a man yelling at me in my flesh says, do that, do that with, within range of this. You're going to lose a couple of these, you know, so in my flesh, that's me, right? So th th there was a scenario where God brought someone into my life and we were both trying to do ministry together at another church. And this was a very loud individual and, and sometimes loud and argumentative. And this person yelling. And I remember on two occasions I was ready to just I'm like, I just, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to go to another church. If I didn't have good accountability and a good wife and the Holy Ghost. I, I would have probably had to go to another church. I was I was very, very close on two occasions of just, I just need to sock them one time. Because in my flesh, that's how you cure that. You, you will never do it again. Not that close in my face, you know. But as time went on, the Lord showed me this, right? What he's drawn out of you is in you. 
And if it's not him, it could be someone else later. I was called to be a pastor. I was on my way to being a pastor. And God's a pastor can't be a striker. So if somebody yelling at you, make you want to swing on them, you'll be fired before you start. So go ahead and learn how to get yelled at and take it like a man. You've been listening to another edition of A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Thanks for tuning in. If you missed any part of this message or want to explore more of Pastor Bill's messages, visit our website, calvaryinglewood.org. You'll also find links to our app. This way you can take biblical teaching and God's Word with you wherever you go. You can simply click on the link at our website or search for Calvary Chapel Inglewood in your app store. If you're ever in the Inglewood area, we'd like to meet you. Our services are held on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 and on Wednesday evenings at 7. And you're welcome to attend any and all of them. We'll spend time diving deeper into God's Word, worshiping our Savior, and just getting to know one another better. We'd be honored to have you join us. And if you're unable to visit us in person, we stream our services online. For more information, just visit CalvaryInglewood.org or feel free to text. You can reach us at 310-245-4811. That's 310-245-4811. Thanks for tuning in today to A Transforming Word. Next time, Pastor Bill will continue teaching through the book of Jonah. There's much to learn and to apply to your life today, even though Jonah's story took place long ago. That's the beauty of the Bible. God's Word is timeless. Feel free to read ahead and be sure to join us again right here on A Transforming Word.